So yesterday morning, Pam was in the kitchen listening to an NPR interview of one of our nation's leading politicians. And I happened to walk through the kitchen just as the conversation turned to the subject of faith. Now, I'm not going to tell you who it was because I don't want to politicize the illustration. But let me just share with you a statement that was made in the interview about faith. The individual said, my faith is extremely important to me. It gives me solace. I'm not a particularly spiritual person, but I find great solace in my faith. Now, I'm not exactly sure how this individual would define faith, but the fact that he sees spirituality as unnecessary or even unrelated to faith and solace as the primary benefit of faith suggests that his definition would be quite different than the one we see in Scripture, both in definition and in the way it's demonstrated in the pages of the Bible. Now, in case you're not familiar with the word solace, this is how the dictionary defines it. Solace is a noun that means comfort in sorrow, misfortune, or trouble, the alleviation of distress or discomfort. Something that gives comfort, consolation, or relief. Now, I'm not suggesting that faith never does those things. Certainly, faith does bring comfort uh, at times in our lives. Uh, But when you see faith in operation in the pages of the Bible, solace is not the word that I would have chosen to describe uh, or to associate most with the word faith. Let's take Abraham, for example. Abraham uh, is one of the people in the Bible that most exemplifies a life of faith. I mean, the the pages of the Bible are filled with uh, the accounts of men and women who live by faith. But I think it's fair to say that Abraham stands out above all the rest. Uh, In the book of Romans, for example, when Paul is trying to explain salvation by grace through faith... He turns to Abraham to illustrate what faith looks like. And in the book of Hebrews, when the writer of Hebrews devotes an entire chapter to the subject of faith, trying to take it from the the conceptual realm to the practical realm, and we get this veritable who's who of Old Testament faith figures, Abraham is the poster child. Most of the people in that list get only a verse or maybe even less than a verse, uh, just a a mention of their name. But Abraham gets eight full verses because he exemplifies faith. I mean, even Moses only got five verses. So uh, Abraham is the poster child of what it looks like to live by faith. And when you think of the life of Abraham... And the role of faith in the life of Abraham, solace is definitely not the word I would have chosen to describe faith. For Abraham, faith was not particularly comforting. In fact, it did just the opposite. It it called him out of his comfort zone and into a place that was uh, very, very uncomfortable because everything was unknown. 
Um, faith was, it didn't exactly relieve distress in Abraham's life. In fact, as Abraham began to live by faith, it created distress. It created challenges. It created difficulties that required him to live by faith. And I'm not sure he would say faith was so much of a relief. And, and, and on the contrary, I think Abraham would say faith was constantly calling me out of that place of relief and into a place of living on the edge with God. That seems to be the pattern over and over again when we see faith lived out in the pages of the Bible. I want us to dig in this morning to to Abraham in particular. Uh, There were three points of crises, faith crises, in the life of Abraham. I think many of you are probably familiar with all three of them, but let me just remind you of what they were and what it looked like for Abraham to live by faith in the midst of those three life crises. The first one is when God called Abraham to leave his home and to go to Canaan. Now, we find this story in, in, in Genesis 12, but I actually want us to look just previous to that in verse 31 of chapter 11. I want to remind you of something or maybe even inform you of something that you, you didn't even know. And in Genesis 11, we, we find this verse, Terah, who was Abraham's father, took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but apparently God called Abraham's father before he called Abraham. Because Terah was leaving Ur and taking his family to Canaan, when they got to a city called Haran, it's a little confusing because uh, one of his uh, uh, grandsons is named Haran, and then they stop at this place, Haran, but don't get confused by that. They come to a place called Haran, and Terah decides, literally, the word there is he settled there. He settled there. Settling is something that we decide to do when we choose not to live by faith. And it's interesting that if Terah had been obedient to the Lord, we would probably be speaking today of Terah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Instead, we only speak of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Terah settled in Haran. But the Lord never leaves his, his, his will or his purposes undone. So at some point, God moved from Terah to Abraham, and he said, Now, Abraham, I'm asking you to leave. And I want you to try to put yourself in Abraham's shoes. Imagine this call on his life. God said to him, I'm asking you to leave your family. I'm asking you to leave uh, your loved ones. I'm asking you to leave your, your, your way of life. I'm asking you to leave everything that's familiar. And I'm asking you to go to a place that I will tell you when you get there. Because you see, not only did the Lord call him to an unknown place, but he didn't give him a map. Now, in case you don't know what a map is, because some of you may be that young, maps are those things that we look at uh, before GPS uh, that tells us how to get from one place to the other. And and, uh, Abraham certainly did not get turn-by-turn directions from GPS. He didn't even get a map. Here's what the Lord said, Abraham, 
I've called you to another place. Start moving, and I will let you know when you get there. That is the epitome of of a call into the unknown. Not particularly comforting, right? God was calling Abraham out of his comfort zone into an unknown place with only the promise, I will let you know when you get there. I'll let you know when you get there. Too often, I think we, we, we have this assumption that if God is truly calling us to something, then surely he will give us the details on the front end. And I want to tell you that from my experience, that's almost never the case. Almost every time God has called me or us as a, as a congregation to take a step of faith, we got almost no instructions on the front end, just a call. Just a call to go or a call to move. I was thinking about the, the story of our church, and many of you were not around at the time, and I think it'd be good for you to hear this story because living by faith is something the Lord has called us as a people to do time and time again. Many years ago, when we were still down at Midtown Drive in the old car dealership, we were outgrowing that facility. We had tried to buy that property so that we could expand and, and, and remodel that particular facility. And, and finally, after years and years of trying to get that place, the door completely closed, and we knew that it was time to start looking for another home. We began to look for another home. I can't tell you how many places we looked at. There were three or four of us that were kind of driving all over town, looking at every empty building in the city. And everything we looked at, the door closed. And I remember being out in California at a conference. And and because I was on East Coast time, the first morning I was there, I woke up wide awake at 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, And and, and just, you know, I was all messed up in my time. And, And so I'm laying there on the floor just praying and crying out to the Lord. And it's like, Lord... We need to move. We're ready to move. But why don't you open the door? And I felt like the Lord said, clear as a bell. If I gave you a piece of property tomorrow, you're not ready to buy it. You hadn't saved any money. You hadn't, you hadn't prepared to actually pay for it. So if I were to give you something tomorrow, you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't be able to take it. Go home and, and call the people to get ready to move. And I said, Lord, you, you don't understand have you ever said that, by the way? you ever told the Lord he doesn't understand? Let, let, let me just save you a little bit of trouble if you haven't. That's not a wise course of action. Uh, don't ever say to the Lord, Lord, you don't understand. But that's exactly what I said. Lord, you don't understand. That's not how you raise money. The way you raise money is you have to take people to a place and say, now, if we get this much money, this is what we're going to get. At the very least, you've got to show them a picture. We need some artist's renderings of something that says, this is what we're asking you to give to. You're telling me to go back and say, I have no idea where we're going. We hadn't found a property. We have no idea what, where the Lord is going to move us. But the Lord has said to get ready so that when the opportunity comes, we'll be able to take that step. The Lord said, yes, that's exactly what I'm asking you to do. So I came back to Christ's community and I shared that conviction that the Lord was calling us to get ready. I said, I have no idea where we're going to move. The Lord has just said to get ready. And so I asked the people to give so that we would be ready when the door opened. No pictures, not even, not even a place on the map to say this is where we're going to end up. Just to say, the Lord is saying, get ready. We were a church of way less than half of what we are today. 
And that small band of the early members of Christ Community Church gave almost $2 million to the unknown simply to get ready. And can I tell you that within weeks of the, of the, the launching of that campaign and the, the end of those pledges, this property came available? We had come to this property, actually tried to, to buy this property, and we were told, we're sorry, but a, a large developer already has a contract on the land. So the door closed. But now, after we got ready, we got a call and said, hey, the developer that had that contract decided they don't want to develop it. Um, or if you're interested, they said you could also have the soil test results that they've already run that'll save you ten dollars to $20,000. All that's already been done. If you don't want the property, it's yours. Faith is what gives us the courage to act when we have no idea what the outcome will be. The second life crisis is found in Genesis 15. Let me read these verses for us in Genesis 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord And he credited it to him as righteousness. I once knew a couple many years ago who were told when they were first married and young that they would never be able to have children. When she was 38 and he was 48, she got pregnant for the first time. Ten years later, when she was 48 and he was 58, she got pregnant with their second child. But that holds no candle to Abraham and Sarah. You know how old Abraham was when the Lord told him? Your heir is not going to be this child of your servant, but your heir will be a child that will come from within your own body. Do you know how old he was? Anybody? 75 years old. That's what most scholars say is that he was 75 years old. But that's only part of the story. He was 75 when the Lord told him, I will give you an heir. Do you know when that heir was born? When Abraham was 100 years old. 100 years old. Do you know what that means? Abraham had to wait 25 years for the promise to be fulfilled. God made him this outrageous promise called him to wait for 25 years when all the circumstances would would suggest this is an impossibility. It wasn't possible at 75. How's it going to be possible at 100? In this case, faith was not a matter of receiving the promise uh, or or even believing the promise, but waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. 
especially when all the signs said, it'll never happen. Have you ever had to wait for a promise? You ever known in your spirit that God was going to do something, but you had to wait and wait and wait? Some of you remember how that played out for us here at, at the church years ago. The Lord had given us this property. We had developed it. And our assumption was we need to get here as soon as we possibly can. Uh, we need to get here tomorrow if we could. I mean, we were, again, we were bursting at the seams. We now had the land. We thought the, the wisest thing to do was to get here as soon as possible. So we hired a project manager. We hired an architect. And here's what we told him. He said, we need to get there as soon as possible and as inexpensively as possible. I guess that's probably what everybody tells their, their architect, right? Um, but that's what we said. And we said, here's the reason, because we have pretty much spent most of our money getting the land and, and developing it. So, uh, you know, we, we, we're, we don't have a whole lot more resources. We need to get there as quickly and as inexpensively as possible. So we came up with this brilliant plan to, uh, to, to, to build the, a permanent anchor a building that would be the kind of the anchor of the building, but everything around it was going to be portables. It was going to be all, almost all portables. Uh, we, we worked on it, worked on it. We, we finally kind of landed at about 26,000 square feet because that's all we felt like we could afford. And then the project manager took it. He began to kind of get some prices, began to work out the cost of it. And he came back to us and he said, okay, Based on this plan, if we go forward with this plan, you're going to end up with $2.9 million in long-term debt. Now, we had felt very, very strongly that the Lord had said to us, you must not go into this building with insurmountable debt. You can't, you can't take significant debt going into this building. And after a lot of figuring and looking at our current expenses and what we were already paying for facilities, how much we were already putting aside in savings, we felt like the Lord was saying 1.8 million is, 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 a, is a measure of long-term debt that actually you can, you can afford very easily. But now we were more than 50% above that number. 1.8 was the target. We had missed it by $900,000. And so uh, we were in turmoil. I mean, honestly, I and our board were in turmoil. We, were, we didn't know what to do. I mean, we, we said, uh, on the one hand, the economy was extremely strong. I mean, it was the best economy we'd had in years. And, and we were growing as a church. And so, you know, the old adage, build it and they will come, kind of seemed to fit. And we thought, well, you know, we could stretch that number. Uh, even that's a lot to stretch, but we could stretch it. And others said, no, we got to keep making it smaller. And we kept going back and forth and back. And, and we were just in turmoil. And, and the day was coming very soon where I was supposed to stand before the congregation and say, here's our plan. Are you ready to move forward? And the week before, when we got that final number, and it was so much greater than we had ever anticipated we were just in turmoil. And I called the board uh, to, to fast and pray. I said, we just got to fast and pray. So we began to fast and pray. And, and, and we came into that week just really anticipating that the Lord was going to give us an answer. And on Wednesday of that week, I was in a funeral down in South Georgia. It was about two hours away. And I'm in the car coming back, driving two hours on those lonely South Georgia roads 
And in the middle of that drive back, uh, I'm just crying out to the Lord, Lord, what are we supposed to do? And I felt like the Lord said, stop. Stop. Just quit trying to figure this all out and stop. I thought, okay, Lord, that's the wrong answer. Let's go for a, the, what's, the, what's the next option here? Because, I mean, stop was the last thing any of us wanted to do. I mean, we were so ready to, to get here. But the next morning, we had our meeting. And I went into the meeting, and, and uh, I, I hate to confess this, but I will tell you, I did not share that up front. I wanted to hear what everybody else had heard the Lord saying, hoping that they had all heard something different than I did. But you know what? After about 30 minutes, we were in more turmoil than we were before we started praying. And I finally said, you know, I, I, I'm just going to share with you what I felt like the Lord said. I feel like the Lord just said, stop. Just stop. And I mean, in a moment, just like that, everybody in the room said, that's the word of the Lord. It was complete agreement. Not one person was, was, was in contention with that, uh, with that word. And so I was called to go before the congregation. And uh, it was Sunday April the 1st, April Fool's Day. And so I had to stand up and said, I need to tell you something, and it's, it's not an April Fool's joke. Our board has prayed, and uh, we, are, we are unanimous. Uh, we, we believe unanimously that the Lord is telling us to stop. And I'll tell you, it was, um, <clears throat> it was an incredible thing. Everybody in the room was ready to go. Everybody in the room had been waiting for years to get to the new place. And now the word of the Lord is stop. But the congregation voted unanimously to stop. And I got to tell you, honestly, I I really did believe in my spirit. Well, actually, it wasn't my spirit. It was my flesh. Now now I know it's my flesh. Sometimes, Sometimes in the middle of the struggle... It's very, very difficult to distinguish between your flesh and your spirit. In my flesh, I really believed and hoped that this was going to be a blip on on the screen of our journey. That, you know, the Lord was going to start moving on the hearts of people who had not yet participated. We were going to raise that extra money in, in the matter of a few weeks or months, and we would be back on the way to moving. And the Lord said to us, stop. And the Lord did not release us for two years. For two years after we had been preparing for three or four years to move, the Lord said, I want you to wait two more. I want you to wait two more. Now, I don't have time this morning to go into all the details of of what took place um, during that season of waiting. It was an incredible season of waiting and listening and the Lord shaping us. But but let let me just share with you what happens when the Lord says to wait and everything in you wants to go, but you choose to stop and wait on the Lord. Two years later, we were in one of the worst economies in decades. We had gone from a great economy to a horrible economy in two years. But over that time, the Lord had given us a permanent plan, this plan, that didn't have 26,000 square feet. It had 32,000 square feet. So we'd gone from a 26,000 square feet uh, plan that was mostly portables to a 32,000 square foot plan that was all permanent. 
And our long-term debt was going to be $1.8 million. Only the Lord could have seen all that was going to happen in those two years. We couldn't see it. And the Lord just said, trust me. Trust me and wait. Faith is what gives us patience to wait when God's promise is delayed. The third life crisis was the command to sacrifice Isaac. We find the beginning of this story in Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, here I am, he replied. He said to him, Abraham, Abraham replied, here I am. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Now, this is the one that logically makes no sense at all. God had promised Abraham an heir. God had asked Abraham to wait for 25 years before he finally fulfilled the promise. And he fulfilled it with a single heir. And then God said, now I want you to give it up. I want you to release it. I want you to let it go. Actually, he said, he said more than that. Don't just let it go. Destroy it. Kill it. Put it on an altar. And I want you to destroy the gift that I've given you. Now, why in the world would God ask Abraham to give up and to sacrifice the very thing God had given him? The, the answer is in the very first verse. I mean, we're told now, you've got to remember, this was written long after the case, or after the fact. But the very first verse says, the Lord was testing Abraham. He was testing Abraham. But what was the test? How, what was the test that God was bringing into Abraham's life. I believe it was that God wanted to be certain that Abraham's faith was in him and not the promise that had been fulfilled. That Abraham's faith was in God and God alone. That Abraham's faith was in the giver and not the gift. We have to remember now that Abraham didn't know at the time it was a test. Abraham didn't get uh, verse 1 of chapter 22 when the Lord said, I'm calling you to do this thing. All, all Abraham got was, I want you to take the son I've given you and I want you to sacrifice. It couldn't have made sense to Abraham. It would have been completely illogical. And yet, what Scripture tells us is that Abraham got up the next day, he packed his donkeys, he called his son, and he said, son, come with me. We're going up the mountain. Took a couple of servants with him. And when they got to the top of the mountain, Abraham prepared the altar. Can you imagine what must have been going through his mind and his heart as he's preparing this altar on which he's going to sacrifice his only son? And yet God had clearly said, this is what I'm asking you to do. So Abraham did it. Abraham prepared the altar. And then Abraham took his son and he laid his son on the altar. 
And then Abraham took the knife and he raised it. And it was then and only then that the Lord intervened and said, Abraham, stop. Do not sacrifice your son. I just needed to know that your faith is in me and not him, not the gift. Uh, a little over six months ago, um, the Lord made it clear to Pam and myself that our time is drawing near to the end here at Christ's community. The Lord told us it's time for you to get ready to transition out. Not immediately, but in two years. Well, now it's 18 months. So we're six months into the two years. We've got 18 months left. And, and I got to tell you, there have been so many times in my mind, I said, Lord, why? Why now? Yeah, I can tell you in all honesty, I'm more excited about what God is doing right now at Christ Community than I have ever been before. In all the 19 years that, that we've been here, why now? And I can't answer that question, to be completely honest with you. I, I don't know all the answers. Now, we could speculate, and I can tell you I have, I've done plenty of speculating. I've asked the Lord, what, what are you up to here? You know, what are you up to for us? What are you up to for Christ's community? Uh, I have no desire to leave, and as far as I know, you would be fine if we stayed. Um, I don't think there's some secret prayer campaign that's been uh, calling out to the Lord, and, and the Lord had to tell us directly because you're afraid to. But um, I, I think, you know, I think we're, we're all good here. I mean, we would all say, this is a good place to be. We see the hand of the Lord at work. Why now? Why this? I'm pretty confident that at the end of the day, the only thing that really matters is our answer to this question. Do you trust me and love me more than the gift? Do you trust me and do you love me more than the gift. And I need to be honest with you and tell you, I, I, this is where the illustration breaks down. I'm pretty sure the Lord is not going to step in at the last minute and say, never mind, just a test. I'm pretty sure the Lord is going to call us to this path. But the only question that matters, do you trust me and do you love me more than the gift? And here's what I do know without a doubt. What I know without a doubt is that if we will trust him, all of us, if we will trust him and love him more than anything else in the world, God will be faithful to do more than we can ask or imagine. I don't know what that, that's going to look like for us. We don't know yet what it's going to look like for a Christ community. But I know that if we will be faithful to walk in the path that God has led us, then we will give us more than we can ask or imagine. You know why? Because he has done it time and time and time again. Every time God has ever called me or us to step into a place of faith, he has always been faithful to do more than we could have ever imagined that he would do. And so guess where we are? We're at a place of the Lord's calling us to live by faith again. 
We're in that place. And, and I know that you know, we're talking here about the, the broad thing here, but uh, there's some takeaways here that are really, really important for every one of us individually. Uh, in fact, this is what Pam and I were talking about this this morning. Over the years, every time the Lord has called us to do something together, there have always been huge, huge life lessons for each of us personally or for our families. I've had so many testimonies over the years of families that said, you know, when the church was going through that time where the Lord said, stop, this is what he did in my family. And I don't know all that the Lord is going to do, but I'm going to say that there's some things that the Lord is, is calling us to right now. Here are the takeaways. The takeaway is this. Whatever you are facing personally, Whatever your family may be dealing with right now, the essence of faith is obedience rooted in absolute trust in God. Faith is a place of obedience. It's not just a place of belief. It's not just a place of conviction. It is a place of action in which we trust God completely. Now, I will tell you that sometimes action means get moving and sometimes action means stop. So faith can take all forms. I mean, sometimes the Lord says, launch ahead, and sometimes the Lord says, be still and know that I'm God. In either case, it is a call to active faith. And whatever you're dealing with right now personally or as a family, the essence of faith is obedience that's rooted in absolute trust in God. Secondly, solace is not the ultimate benefit of faith. I can just tell you that while it would be good to tell you that faith is ultimately going to be about comforting you and relieving you of distress or just relieving you of whatever, I can tell you that faith is more likely to call you out of your comfort zone. Faith is more likely to give you courage to move when you don't know where you're going. Faith is more likely to give you the patience to trust in promises that you can't yet see. Faith is more likely to give you the resolve to act when it doesn't make sense. That's what the life of faith looks like. And let me just say as well that faith is not reserved for spiritual giants. I have a feeling that many of you are, are, are sitting there today saying, yeah, this is, this is a story of Abraham. Abraham is the father of the, the, the Hebrew people. He's he's one of, if not the greatest men in the Old Testament. We're we're talking about spiritual giants here. I'm I'm, I'm a grasshopper. You know, I'm I'm just, uh, how do do I live like Abraham lived? Can I just remind us that Abraham was an incredibly flawed man? If you read the whole story of Abraham, you remember that time they were in Egypt? And Abraham was really concerned because his wife was really good looking. And Pharaoh had an eye for her. And in order to save his own skin, Abraham told Pharaoh that Sarah was his sister, not his wife. He did it out of fear. Not only that, he was afraid more for himself than he was his wife. He threw his wife under the bus trying to save his own skin before Pharaoh. He did it again a second time when they moved to another place. Twice, Abraham lied about his wife's identity in order to save his own skin. And then there was a time in the season of waiting where Sarah came to Abraham and said, you know, God told us he's going to give us a promise, but we've been waiting a long time, and the Lord hadn't answered the promise yet. Why don't you have a child with our servant, Hagar? 
and that will be your heir. And even though Abraham had been promised by God that he would have a son of his own body with his own wife, Abraham chose plan B over God's plan A. And you know what? We've been paying for it ever since in the Middle East. That was the beginning of the conflict in the Middle East that still exists today, 4,000 years, 6,000 years later. Plan B is never the right course when God has given you a plan A. I want to just tell you that Abraham was a man just like you. Sarah was a woman just like you. But here was a couple who learned in the midst of their flaws, often through failure, what it looked like to live by faith. And so I want to ask you this morning, where is God calling you to stand or to move in faith? Where is God asking you to move though you cannot see? Where is God asking you to wait when you don't know why? What do you trust or love more than him right now? As our worship team comes and leads us in a final song, I want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. Some of you may want to come and kneel at these altars and And just have some time alone with God. These altars are here for you. There's nothing magical about them. But I will tell you that because faith is an active thing, uh, there have been so many times in my life where just moving and coming and getting on my knees before the Lord was the first step of faith. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Come and kneel and just commit today to living by faith. You may have a need where you truly want someone to pray with you. You need someone to join with you in this place of faith and stand with you in faith. There are going to be people up front here who are trained and they're ready to pray for you. Just come to any of them. Share briefly what your need is and they would be more than happy to pray with you this morning. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And let's begin to respond as the Lord calls us to respond. Let's listen. Let's obey. Let's trust a God who is good.